So welcome to Grace City. Um, my name is Brandon Gray. I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, my wife and I co-lead the prayer team, and yeah, we've been here pretty much since it started. We actually started in February 2017, so we're, we just passed being three years old as a church. And in a month, we're moving into our own building, which is crazy, like amazing. And I don't think any of us ever saw that happening. Um, so Simon, right now, he called me last night. He and 20-some, I can't remember, I can never remember the number of how many, but a bunch of our church members went down to an LA conference, a campus conference for um, Every Nation, which is kind of the larger church family that we are in, and is basically a big conference for people, anybody who's a student, interested in ministering to students, teachers, all that stuff, they just get together, worship here, breakout seminars, and he sends his love, told me to say hi to everybody, he misses us, and he's super excited because uh, I hear it was awesome, and they're, I'm excited to hear what they bring back um, from this, so. It's an exciting time. They're traveling, I think, from L.A. today. They're driving, so pray for them because um, they're doing it in, like, two big vans. And, yeah, it's crazy. So today uh, you get uh, me. Uh, <laughs> and we are actually taking a break from our sermon series in the book of Revelation. Last week, Simon got to the point of Revelation, which was like prime, like weird Revelation, where there's like dragons and multi-headed beasts coming out of the everywhere. And so we're going to stop there <laughs> and try and bring up, bring some clarity to the subject that's often known as spiritual warfare. And so for three to four weeks, we are going to talk in a sermon series called Battle Ready. Um, and... Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, that's, that's awesome. So, we're going to talk about something that is, for the next few weeks, that's kind of often either avoided or honestly sometimes well-meaning but misrepresented. Like a lot of the times when we think spiritual warfare or anything with spiritual forces of evil, it gets kind of odd and everybody starts to feel a little nervous about what the person on stage is going to say next because this is usually where things get strange. Um, and a lot of times this gets categorized as like just things with like demons and exorcisms and that like weird stuff that like half of us are like, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. And the other half are like, can we never talk about that again? Um, <laughs> our hope though is to actually broaden the subject matter because it's way more relevant than just what I think it often is uh, talked about as. Um, Simon and I met and we were talking about the sermon series and what to say. And I just want to put out sort of the disclaimer that this isn't going to be like a definitive spiritual warfare sermon series. Like there are a lot of great sermons. There's a lot of great Things already have been said about this, um, but when we met and we prayed and we were looking at the scriptures, the thing that we kept coming back to was, okay, that's all awesome, but what about Grace City Portland? What about 
you guys? What about us? What do we need to hear about this? And so what I'm hoping to do today is relay what the heart of God is for you guys um, in this building. Like, what, are, what do we need to know? And actually where I feel like the Spirit of the Lord led me uh, just as I was studying, I kind of did the classic thing of I had a, like what I thought was this great idea about like, I'm just gonna talk about the armor of God and like all these like cool like ways to talk about it. And then one night when I was studying, I felt like God was like, no. Uh, <laughs> like that's great, they don't need that. Um, at least not in that way. Um, so today we're going to talk about We're talking about something, I'm just going to lay it all out there, give you the answers early. This is uh, spoilers. Um, we're going to talk about failing, and we're going to talk about falling down. We're going to talk about turning back to God when you feel like you can't. Because I believe one of the big struggles for us, just for me knowing like for myself, but also just knowing a bunch of you is there is working on it because this might here because <laughs> it's awkward. But I love you guys, and what I think is being brought up, and what I hope to bring up might be a little awkward. It might be a little painful, and at first, because. I think we need to address a weird form of pride that is here, but it's not the pride you think of when you think of pride. Um, I think we've got a spirit of beating ourselves up and self-condemnation that is pretending to be humility, and it's not from God, and it's not for us because it doesn't help us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, <laughs> which might be painful, but I want to start off with prayer. So would you pray with me, for me, a little bit too? Um, but yeah, Heavenly Father, we submit this time to you, God. I ask, Lord, that this would be a time for your words and your spirit, God. I pray for this to be a room just full of your presence and your grace, Lord. I pray that you would soften my heart, you would soften our hearts. God, we trust you as our great physician, Lord. But when there comes time for something to be mended or something to be set right or something to be prescribed, Lord, that it comes from you, God, that we submit to you, Lord. Lord, we know that you care for us. We know that you love us, God. Help us today, God. In your name, amen. Okay, so, sorry that intro is way more kind of heavy than I actually meant, to, meant it to be, but we're going to look today at 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, 
And this is kind of a classic verse that sort of gives you a caricature of the devil. It's kind of one of the main ones that's brought up in spiritual warfare and anything having to do with the devil. Um, but let's just read it. Um, this is the words of Peter. He says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. So, myself, I came to this scripture, like, as soon as Simon was like, hey, you should preach on spiritual warfare. I was like, sweet, I got it. Um, but I really focused basically just on the part right in the middle about the devil. And for most of my life, I've always pretty much just read that little part. Like, oh, okay, he roars and he wanders around looking for somebody to devour. Stand firm and he'll run. Got it. Um, and it wasn't really until a few, few days ago that I actually paid attention to resist him firm in your faith doesn't actually end right there. That's not a period, uh, but that's a comma. And so he's telling you what <laughs> to, I know some of you are like, well, duh, it's a comma. Like, I didn't do good in grammar. But he's telling you what to stand firm in faith knowing. Like what is, the, what is essential to standing firm? And he says some things that at first don't sound super comforting. Um, he's like, hey, just know that everybody else is suffering too. Um, and then he says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself come and strengthen and confirm you. So what we could draw from that, what I feel like the Lord has been saying to me, but is that it's essential to faith in resisting the enemy that we know that we're not alone and that there is an end to suffering, and that God is coming to strengthen us. And so, for example, if, I don't know if any of you guys have ever like, like boxed or done any kind of like self-defense training or anything, but if you box and somebody says, okay, keep your guard up and keep your chin tucked, what that tells you is the other guy or the other person is aiming for your face. Like, so what we can do, <laughs> what we can do here is look at what Peter or any other part of the scriptures, when Jesus, when Paul, any of the disciples are prescribing what to guard against, that tells you what the devil is aiming for. And so here you can do that by assuming that the devil probably wants you to think that you suffer by yourself and that the suffering is not going to end and that God's not coming. 
And when you put it that way, you might think like, okay, spiritual warfare. I'm not seeing like demons popping up and I'm not seeing like spiritual forces of evil necessarily like doing all kinds of crazy things, but that is everywhere. People believing that they're alone and living without hope, that's all over the place. And I believe Peter's saying, that is a struggle with the enemy. That is a big one that you struggle with every day, probably. And if not today, you have. And so while I was looking at this, actually Peter's warning sort of sounds familiar. Um, describing the devil like prowling around, like wanting to uh, seek someone to devour. And while I was studying it, I actually came across Luke 22. Um, We can go there. Uh, So this is what I think in like informed Peter's words later to the rest of the believers. And this comes at the Last Supper. This is when Jesus... Well, actually, all the disciples right before this are arguing about who's the greatest, as they, for some reason, always do. Um, they're arguing about who's the greatest at the table, and Jesus says, okay, if you want to be the best, then serve. Be the first to serve. And he says, that's the way it is in my kingdom. And so, also, just a side note, when the Bible And when the disciples and the epistles in the New Testament, when they bring up spiritual warfare, when they bring up the devil particularly, if you notice, it's most often connected to divisions and people groups and keeping everybody separated and scattered. Like it's very rarely described as just being about an individual, but they say like, stand together. Don't let the devil have a foothold and forgive your brother. Forgive your brother. Because if you don't, that's what gives them the foothold. It's always in this context of groups, kingdoms. And so here, Jesus right before this is like, I have received a kingdom from my father and I'm giving it to you. And he's talking to the disciples. And right as he's saying like, I'm giving it to you and you guys will sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were probably like, yes, that means we're all the greatest. Um, He stops and he just goes, Simon, Simon, and he's talking to Peter. He's talking about his old, original name. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Also, side note, in verse 31, the yous gets translated. Some of you guys in yours might have you all, or y'all, if you have a southern Bible. (laughs) Uh, But the yous in the Greek, actually in that first verse, are plural, and the use in the second one are singular. And so we know that Jesus is talking at first about all the disciples, and then he's addressing Peter. And so he says, and I'll do the Southern translation, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you all, that he might sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter goes on right after that to say, yes, I will follow you to prison and to death because I'm guessing he probably is like, okay, he secretly said we're all gonna be on thrones or he said we're all gonna be on thrones 
and that the devil wants all of us. But then he pointed to me and was like, you don't fail. And he's like, yes, I am the greatest. <laughs> and so Peter says that. And then Jesus is like, oh, Peter. <laughs> As a lot of you know the story, he goes, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows today. <laughs> and I don't think Peter gets it because he just kind of moves on. Um, but the warning that the devil is demanding the disciples to sift them like wheat. And again, you get this language of sifting wheat, which is to test it, to pull it apart. And then you get Peter later saying, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And lions hunt, like how do lions hunt? Lions roar and they try and get a herd to move and whoever's weakest and slowest, that's who they pick off. The devil's always working to separate the group to get people to move when they shouldn't and somebody's gonna get left behind or somebody's gonna get sifted out and moved around. Devil's always after division. But another thing came up when I was reading this, which I had never noticed before. Which I don't know if you guys find it weird that Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And then Peter totally fails that night. Like, because I don't know about you, but I figured if anybody's prayer is going to get listened to, it's probably Jesus. Like, if he's got something he's going to ask the Father for, it's like, it's going to happen. Probably. Um, or you hope. But <laughs> I honestly, I sat with that for probably a full day wondering what in the world was that about? And then I kept reading about Peter and I just remembered the rest of his kind of trajectory and what happened with him. But I think it's safe to say one of the first conclusions we can draw is that faith isn't a one-time thing. And so if there is a lie of the enemy at work, I think one of the biggest ones is that you have one shot when it comes to serving God. That is not true. We look at Peter, deny Jesus three times in front of people, and then Jesus looks at him and he sees him and says that Peter broke down and he ran outside and then he wept bitterly. Because he knew what happened. He had failed. He had failed when he talked like the biggest game. <laughs> and then he goes home. And he becomes a fisherman again. He goes back to his old life. He figuratively steps right back into the old self. And... I think there's some of us, even in this church now, who are right there, who feel like, I had a shot, I failed it, I'm still here, but what else can God do with me? Because I blew it. And I don't know what the reasoning is, but I've gone to church long enough to know that there are it's totally possible for people to come to church regularly and faithfully 
and yet feel like they have no faith. And maybe they're just afraid to say something. Afraid to say, hey, I feel hopeless. I feel like I blew it. And I'm here because I know that God's my savior and that's all I got. But as far as me like doing anything, like nah, he doesn't have use for me. And that's a big old lie. Amen. Because, all right, I'm gonna pause there for a quick second. Cautionary tale time. Uh, so I was there. Um, me being right here speaking to you guys is a long time coming and a little awkward and actually had to navigate quite a bit of emotion coming up, getting ready to do this, because it's been like seven or eight, eight years since I've actually preached. Um, I actually used to, I wasn't like officially a pastor, but I was essentially a youth pastor for a couple of years. Um, I was teaching every week to a high school group and running camps and coming up with borderline, like, morally corrupt games to get these kids to play. Like, if any of you guys actually went to, like, high school youth group, like, particularly in, like, the early 2000s or, like, late 90s, like, it's amazing nobody got arrested or, <laughs> like, this stuff wouldn't fly today at all. Like, we came up with the grossest things. We had a, all right, I'm not going to get into it, but... <laughs> We did the chicken Olympics, and it, we, we did events with raw chickens. Like, like, they were cleaned, but it was like a raw chicken, so we had like, we threw them and tried to like javelin them. It was gross. Um, anyways, it's good times. But <laughs> so I was in the middle of all that, and it was, it was great. Like, God was doing a lot in the lives of a ton of kids, young adults, people like our group was 14 to, you know, some of them 18. Some of them would like graduate and like we had to like lovingly tell them like you can't come to high school group anymore because you're 19 and in college. Like, um, <laughs> I think I like two people in particular. Um, anyway, and Ironically, the, probably the most significant time of ministry involving spiritual warfare and actually involving uh, some kids who had some demonic oppression actually was right in the middle of that. And also, I was also at the height of living a life of hypocrisy, like I was like full of, full blown just one person in the dark on my own and one person, totally different person I was presenting on stage or to particularly the high schoolers. Um, I had a lot of sins that I was keeping secret. It's one thing to have struggles with sins in your life because we all do. But it's particularly dangerous <laughs> to keep it in and then to pretend that it's not an issue because <laughs> uh, that leads to disaster. 
um, because it starts to boil over. It does. For me, uh, there were things that I was struggling with, and in response to it, I would just try and overcompensate in like ministry. I would just be like, I need to just be a better speaker. More kids need to get saved. More kids need to like cry at camp and all, like, <laughs> all this stuff. But I was looking to overwork everything except actually dealing with any of the stuff that was going on inside of me, like this gaping hole of insecurity that I had that I was trying to fill with like anything and everything. Um, the Psalms put it like, there's a Psalm that says, Lord, when I didn't confess my sins to you, my bones wasted away. And so it boiled over, <laughs> as it does. And when it did, I wasn't really that gracious about it. In fact, I mostly defended myself or blamed other people. Um, and when it came time to actually repent and turn to God, I didn't. And I held on to the things that brought me comfort. And then I quit. I, and this was the youth group, hear me, that this is the youth group that I went to when I was 14 and got saved. This is how I met Jesus was through this youth group. And I was in this lineage of teachers and leaders that I myself had come from. And when I quit, they put the youth group on hiatus and it never came back. And I wish I could just blame the devil and or I could just blame like a pastor or somebody, but it, it was me. And I stopped that. The ministry stopped uh, because I didn't handle it. And then I stopped praying and I stopped reading I stopped talking to God because honestly I felt like, man, if I was going to do that to something that he had built, if I was going to burn down something he had built, there is absolutely no way he was ever going to have use for me again. There's this book I'm reading by um, Rabbi Abraham Heschel. It's called Man's Quest for God. It's just about prayer. And he describes in one of his chapters what happens when you stop praying. And I'm going to paraphrase because it's really wordy and poetic and beautiful, but it's a mouthful. Um, and I did not memorize it, but <laughs> nor did I bring it. But that doesn't matter. Anyway, he says when man forsakes God, God is not alone, but man is alone. And when you stop praying that there is a gap that grows and a gap that grows into a chasm and that can grow into an abyss and you can find yourself wandering, as he puts it, a skeleton of a soul wandering the earth. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that was me. <laughs> but he also says that sometimes it is the great mercy of the Lord that you would stand at the edge of that abyss and wake up. And when you do, you might find yourself floating over that abyss back to God as light as a dream. I loved 
I didn't like actively love the sin that I was committing or the things that I had going on inside. I like hated and loved it. Like it's one of those things that's like, I hated it, but I kept choosing it. If anybody's been there. (laughs) Um, But I beat myself up constantly. I hated myself. I spent probably about three or four years just feeling completely alone and I was isolating myself. I still had great friends, great, gracious, awesome people in my life, but man, I hated my existence. And so another thing that I would like to bring up, which might be a little painful, is that um, self-condemnation is not humility. And I think it can be easily mistaken for it. Because when I was wandering alone, dejected, away from God, I was like, well, at least I'm humble. (laughs) At least I've been brought low. But I wasn't. And it's hard because beating yourself up and, and considering yourself lowly can look kind of like humility sometimes, but there's a really subtle key difference, which is when you are condemning yourself, when you have put yourself under your own boot of condemnation, you get destroyed, but you still are in the judgment seat. And that's a place that God belongs. And so we live in this weird cycle of beating yourself up, yet not relinquishing control. And that's the difference, is you can bring yourself low and look at yourself honestly, but a key part of humility is actually turning all of that authority and power over to God, who can rightfully judge and take care of you. It's an act of trust. Humility, I don't think, can just live in this isolated box of just you. And I think there's a lot of people here, myself included, who are still beating ourselves up for our mistakes or times where we feel like we failed. And I believe it's the heart of God to lift that off of us. To say, that's not humility, that's not what I require of you. What I require of you is for you to hand that over to me. Because you'll judge yourself either too harshly or maybe not harshly enough, (laughs) to be honest. But God is the one who actually knows. God knows you better than you know yourself. So we go back to Peter. Peter, the next day after denying Christ, when Christ was dead, and his dream was dead, his thought of a reinstored Israel and overthrowing Rome and all of that, that was gone. Everything that he had put all of his bets on was done. And so he goes back to fishing and he wanders. And then, three days later, Jesus shows up. And then Peter swims to him. And I'd like you all to hear me when I say this next little bit that Jesus has one question for Peter. 
And he asks it three times. And it is not, how could you have done this? His question for Peter is not how, he doesn't say, how dare you? How far have you fallen? What did you do? How could you have done this to me? His one question is, do you love me? And I believe that's still the question that God is asking us. I believe it's the question he's always been asking us. Jesus is alive. A lot of the times I kind of shrink the gospel to just like, okay, Jesus died for your sins and he rose again and good. And that's great. Fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Don't misquote me. Simon would be mad. Uh, But a lot of the times I actually don't keep going because the gospel is everything that Jesus did. So he died for our sins, but he also rose. And then he also ascended into heaven and he took his rightful seat on the throne and all authority on earth and in heaven was given over to him. And then he pours out his spirit onto us so that we could, we could tell the world, we could tell everybody that your king has set you free. We're here to call the captives to freedom. That's the great commission. We should start with us. <laughs> Too many of us are still living in what we perceive to be bondage, but we're free. Because Jesus is asking us that question. And you could debate. I used to debate with my friends, like, okay, can you lose salvation? Can you screw up bad enough and stuff? But what if I really want back in? It's, mm -mm. like, have that debate later, that's fine. The real question is, do you love Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then he has grace for you. And that's just, that's repentance. To To repent literally just means to turn the other direction. Turn your back to one thing and turn towards another thing. And when it comes to Jesus, we can't. We can turn our back to everything that we thought defined us and had authority over us, and we can turn to our king and answer him. If you can hear me right now, and you have breath in your lungs and your heart is beating, you can answer that question. There's grace. It's here. If God tore a veil and if God made a way, who can close it? And so if you can hear me, then that means you can answer this question. And you don't have to have that figured out, by no means, because that's a whole other sermon series and conversation. But the basic, like even from the words of Jesus himself, when he gives the parable of the prodigal son, the prodigal son came home even under the wrong assumption of what his dad was going to do when he got there. But that didn't matter. What mattered was that he came home. And so if you don't know what loving Jesus looks like, but you want in, you can be in. You don't have to have this figured out. You don't even have to like have the best picture of what faith even really looks like because it's complicated and I've been a Christian for now over half my life and I'm still finding new things every day. Um, 
And for some of you guys, you guys are like, great, this is awesome. This is amazing. Yeah, Jesus and I are cool. And yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm super stoked for you. <laughs> but if we go back to Luke 22 and look at what Jesus says to Peter. Um, he says, strengthen your brothers. He says, when you turn. Jesus knew he was gonna fail. And he still prayed for him and says, I've prayed that your faith may not fail. Faith is not one time. He accounted for Peter failing. And I think that's what faith does. Faith takes into account our imperfections. Faith takes into account the fact that we can't see God right now, so we have faith. And then step two, it says when you turn, strengthen your brothers. So if you are there, you got brothers who need you because we don't suffer alone. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to know standing in faith is that the experience that you have, the pain that you're suffering, even if it's right now and you're in the middle of suffering it or you have, and I'm sure honestly there's probably going to be a lot more as you continue to live. But what we remember, what goes in the face of the devil is remembering that we aren't alone. And your brothers and sisters need you. What's better than one person with a shield? A row of people with a shield. Because this, you know the armor of God, what everybody always quotes when it comes to spiritual warfare? And it's great. And I'm not knocking this, but it took me way too long to figure out that in the letter of Ephesians, Paul is talking the entire time about a renewed group of people being the body of Christ. The armor of God is not for an individual, it is for the body of Christ. It is for all of us. Because how many times has anybody actually felt like they were like firing on all cylinders, like wielding like every piece of armor and like, I'm good. Like, I've never felt that way. <laughs> and honestly, when God got a hold of me again and I had my like Peter moment where I had to come to grips with I didn't even, you know what's the craziest thing is like when I eventually was down on my knees finally waking up and understanding that I was deeply depressed and miserable and considering like all kinds of just self-destruction, when it came time for me and God to have that face-to-face -face talk, he literally only asked me, do you love me? We didn't even get into sin. We didn't even get into what I had done. He just was like, hey, come back. I had what Paul talks about in the armor of God. The, the, my feet were, I can't even remember the phrasing, but basically the gospel was what was carrying my feet. And the gospel did carry my feet back into the church brought me to you guys. But at that point, I didn't have the strength to lift a shield of faith or wield a sword of truth. I, I was rusty and lost. I was just here 
and I needed great people, <laughs> wonderful friends, like at the time my roommate, Josh Knapp, to pray for me, to talk to me about my struggles and my small group. They were the ones who lifted the shield of faith on my behalf and kept me shielded from any arrows that were coming at me. I needed somebody else to wield the sword on my behalf. I had Simon praying prayers for me, wielding the sword of truth, which is the word of God, and defending me. And that's what we have to do for each other. If the devil wants us divided, then we gotta unite. We gotta unite in our suffering. We gotta unite in our triumphs and our failures. remember where I was. <laughs> okay. Um. Oh. And so here I am uh, preaching again, which is a trip. And so if I can, man, if I can ruin friendships and tank a ministry and go wander off for years and years into a complete depression and God can bring me back here and put me on a stage to tell you to be strengthened, then man, what could he do with you guys? <laughs> Amen to that. And so can we, can we bring up... Uh, the first Peter verse again, uh, the first one. So in light of all of that, I wanna read this again, because this is spiritual warfare. This is step one, because the Lord has called us to stand firm, but we need to make sure we're standing. <laughs> and more will come. We're going to keep talking about this kind of thing. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties to him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering that you're experiencing are being taken up and experienced by your brothers and sisters around the world. And after you have suffered for a while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion and glory and honor forever. <sighs> Don't get me wrong. Sometimes this whole thing sucks. <laughs> the process of standing back up after you feel like you have failed is painful and can be awful, but it can also be the greatest thing in the world. Because when you actually humble yourself not to yourself, but to God, this amazing thing happens is that he decides when to exalt you. Because if I had stayed under my own boot 
for the rest of my life, I would have never let myself back up. But God in his wisdom knows when to bring you back. Let's see. I actually blew through that pretty quick, but can I get the band to come back up? <laughs> so, what now? Uh, we're going to sing. And we're also going to take communion. And we're going to have time to respond. book of Ephesians also says the people who are filled with the Spirit, like the first description of them is they're people who sing and make beautiful melody to the Lord. And when the Israelites with Moses passed through the Red Sea and saw that they had been saved through the waters and their enemies had been defeated, they sang. And so it doesn't really matter if you have a good voice or not. Um, honestly, right now we want to open up this space for you to respond wherever you are uh, because you could be at the point of your life where you feel like the calling and the mission of God is dead to you. And you could be at the point where you feel completely lost or you, oh man, I don't know. I don't know where everybody is. But what does matter is right now we have time to answer the singular question that God is asking us. Do you love me? This is also an opportunity to strengthen your brothers and sisters. So if you need prayer, grab somebody. Um, I'm actually, I'll actually just go stand over there. So if you need prayer, I'll pray for you. Um, if you want to respond through communion, through honoring the Lord's sacrifice and his defeat of death and sin and his raising again and setting you free, you can respond through communion. You can respond just by singing. <sighs> Turning back to God is a joyous thing. It is. It's painful, but it's, we do it to joy. The Bible also says that it was for the joy set before him that he suffered the cross. I'm gonna pray for us and then we can worship.